Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Quiet Part Loud podcast. You are listening to episode 128, and it's just me today. We have some more editing to do and some other interviews that are coming in the next few days. So once those are all finished and edited, then we'll be putting those out as well. But it's been a few weeks since I had the opportunity to just come and do one of our normal shows and and sit in front of the mic and, and just update. And I thought, well, it might be a good opportunity to give an update on this whole COVID situation. And I know... It's probably the last thing you want to hear. It's probably the last thing anybody wants to talk about or hear discussed. But I also thought I also thought it would be a good idea to maybe put some things in perspective, give a little bit of an update, maybe try to untangle some of the some of the crap that's being banded about. The news media are in constant fear-mongering mode. The government is giving false information, which we'll get into. And I just, you know, there's new vaccine or treatments, I should say, rather than vaccines being banded about. And I just wanted to touch on some of these things because it's enough that the news cycles are dominated by this content. And... Most news channels are barely even looking outside of this for anything to report. But yet they're still not getting it right and they're still giving misinformation and they're still, as I said, just, you know, hunkered down in the fear-mongering tactics to, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, right? And if it scares you, then you're probably going to tune into it. If there's something to be worried about, you got to be informed. And, and, and that's the right thing in terms of keeping yourself informed. But the way the media are doing it is just, it's really disgraceful in my opinion. There's really no journalistic integrity. They're not interviewing anybody. They're not doing any real investigative journalism. They're just speaking to random people who are sitting in their homes with a bookshelf behind them to make them look credible. But they're all just saying a version of the same thing, which is, we don't know. And I wish more of these politicians and these news outlets were less afraid to sort of put their ego aside and just admit that they don't know what they're talking about. Because every single marker that we're being given gets moved. Every reassurance that's provided is quickly walked back and we're again, we're, we're in this holding pattern to determine what's going on. And I wish they would just come up and say, listen, we're working our asses off. We don't know shit, but we're trying. Instead of coming out and spending half of these briefings thanking people, and again, don't get me wrong, I think the nurses and the frontline workers are absolute heroes and they need to be praised for all of the hard work that they're doing and the fact that they're doing it without the necessary equipment and, you know, sparse resources that are being provided to them. That said, I'm not looking to Dominic Rabb or Matt Hancock or any of the other ones, Patel or whoever, 
gets on the mic. I'm not interested in hearing them try to placate people by just showing how grateful they are by reading a prepared statement of thanks to the people who are doing what we have to do in order to A, save people's lives, B, stop the transmission of this thing by staying home. We get it. You've told us we're following it. We don't need to spend half of our daily updates regurgitating the same old thanks. I wish they knew their facts. I wish they would give the real honest facts to us. And so I just wanted to break a few things down in terms of what's actually going on with this with this situation because the situation so far is that we are now over 12,000 deaths in the UK alone. Now, I'm not sure if that is the number that the government are recording or the number including the ONS inflated numbers, which are the more accurate numbers, and they're potentially 25% higher. The shocking thing for me that I just cannot reconcile is how we knew about this virus in January. Maybe even earlier if you're in the government. Yet we are in the middle of April and we have only tested 300,000 people. Of the 300,000 people that have been tested, 80,000 people have tested positive now that's almost a third right so that's upwards of just doing quite quick math in my head what is that like 27 percent of people tested test positive yet we have only tested 300,000 people so these numbers whether they include the ons data which is, again, 25 in some cases, 25% higher than what the government reports to us on a daily basis. But this doesn't even take into account the full scope of this problem. Because unless you test everybody, how are you going to get a comprehensive understanding of the damage it's done or its rate of infection or anything else? And the simple fact that this country, being what it is in the position that it is, the fact that it is so just overwhelmingly unprepared for a situation like this is really, really disgraceful and shines a light on how incompetent these government institutions are. And that's why I don't want Matt Hancock up on the daily briefings telling, you know, how much of a great job they're doing. Own up to the fact that you've slipped and lost the ball on this one. You've completely fumbled on this. The fact that they don't know how many NHS workers have died. The fact that they don't know how many people in care homes have died. The fact that they don't know how they're actually going to ramp up the testing to this quote-unquote 100,000 people per day number. He just spewed this out one day at one of these briefings. But they have no resource to make that claim that they can actually accomplish those numbers. What shocks me even more 
is that we have NHS workers who get paid a pittance to do their job. Sitting there without the necessary equipment and without even being tested. Compounding my frustration on this point is the fact that when people make claims about elitism and classism and the haves and the have-nots, and, you know, this government tries to dismiss it like it's just, you know, they're, they're a government for the people. But then you see that Boris Johnson got infected, Matt Hancock got infected, Prince Charles got infected, Michael Gove is self-quarantining, and his wife or family member has shown symptoms. How is it that these tests were readily available for these people? But yet we don't have the resource or capacity to even get frontline workers tested? We've lost so many people because they're constantly exposed to this virus treating other people, yet Prince Charles can just get one. Boris Johnson, okay, he's the prime minister, right? So some priority. We need the leader of the country up and running as soon as we can. I kind of get it. I kind of get it. But the, the failing that there is not enough stock, the supply chain is this difficult to work out and to move around, is disgraceful. So when I see the government's response giving ifs and ums and buts and, you know, we're doing the best we can, but it's just about staying home. You're not even testing people that come into the airports in this country from abroad. Non-British citizens that are coming into this country are not being tested and allowed to circulate amongst the population. And I go back to the testing and the infection rates. You've only tested 300,000 people in what? Three months? Twelve weeks? I mean, we're in the third week of lockdown, fourth week of lockdown now. They should have been testing long ago. They should have had these tests ready to go within a couple of weeks. And they should have stockpiled. So what's the problem? Do we not have the facility to do the negotiations because we're not tightly wound with the EU anymore or because we're being outbid by other countries for the supply that's in the market? I don't know. But I know we've got some for the right people when they need it. But the death toll is going up by the hundreds daily. And we're getting no real answers to this. And that is a massive problem. So I'm not happy with the government's response. I'm not happy with the way the supply chain is being managed. I'm not happy with the lack of just overall duty of care that the government has to its people in a time of national crisis like we're in right now. And reporters need to come to the table, grow some fucking nuts, and start asking these people hard questions. The only person I see asking any questions of these politicians in any strength or with any conviction, is Pierce Morgan. He's the only one that seems to be drawing a real light, shining a real light on the problems and the failings of this government during this crisis.
but the new figures are coming out soon and I think everybody's going to be in shock. And I think for the most part, people are trying their best to do the social distancing, but I got to say, there are some complete fucking morons walking around the streets of London, walking around the streets of this country, and all over the world for that matter. But I can only speak for direct experience. And I'm telling you what, the social distancing that is being enforced by the grocery stores here when you are queuing up to get in is perfect. They're making everybody stay, you know, a couple meters away from each other. Most people are adhering to that. What happens when you walk into the grocery store and actually try to do your shopping? You got fucking morons that are hanging over your shoulder to get eggs. Just crowding you for no reason. Like for some reason, oh, well, we did it in line, so that's great. So now we can just, you know, mix and mingle however we want. It's outstanding. It's astounding to me that every time I've had to go out to get some, you know, just little bits and bobs to stock up, that I've on at least one occasion had to, like, verbally confront somebody to get out of my face. It's just shocking that still I see people walking through the grocery store with no masks, no gloves, coughing, grabbing stuff, wiping their nose, grabbing stuff. I mean, this is kind of Darwinism at its <laughs> at its most fundamental, right? This is going to be survival of the fittest. And yes, this virus, I mean, the, the fact that they started out even calling this an old per- person's virus was just a joke. It was just an absolute joke because, okay, it may adversely affect people of certain demographics worse than others, but I don't know of a, an influenza virus that is is, you know, kind of discriminates against gender or age. It's really about the makeup of the person that gets infected and their ability to fight things off, right? The immune system has to be strong and they can have a better chance of, you know, those mild symptoms that we seem to be saying. But, you know, for two and a half months, they were saying this is an old person's disease. Three months, they're saying this is an old person's disease. And then we start to see the numbers. As the infections rise, we see this the number, the age of those that are dying from this disease going down and down and down and down. So when I hear people who are not doctors talking about the fact that they'll take chances and uh, don't worry, I'm healthy, I'll risk it. Well, we've had professional athletes die. We've had healthy teenagers die. We've had healthy adults die. We've had babies and children die. So how is this, you know, discriminating against people because of their age? And I don't want to hear percentages because we don't know the true percentages of what is actually going on with this virus. America is not up to snuff with the testing. The UK is not up to snuff with the testing. Germany had a lockdown and now they're starting to see an explosion in their rates as well. So you can't say this is, a, this is not a young person problem or let's open the schools, which is being now bounded, abound, <clears throat> bounded around as an option. Let's open, let's open the schools at the end of May. Well, how the fuck do you know that it's going to be okay at the end of May? How the fuck do you know that you're not putting children at risk? Oh, well, it's just a small percentage. So we're just playing a numbers game now, right? Fuck you, but, right? It's really bad, but. We don't really, you know, there's going to be some casualties. We're dealing with that. Like the health secretary or whoever it was, one of those chief medical officers said, you know, a good outcome is 20,000 deaths or keeping the death toll under 20,000. Well, we're at 12 
we just passed 12. So what the fuck happens when it goes over 20? But I don't want to hear this. It's an old person disease and I'll take my chances. Because that kind of ignorance gives license to other ignorant motherfuckers to be ignorant. And by doing so, endangering the rest of us. I don't want to come out of this lockdown in two months just to get sick in a week. Because some ignorant bastard didn't bother to follow precautions or wash their hands or, you know, stay self-isolated. The other problem I've got with this is that they're... The reporters out there are already asking about the easing measures. How do we see the exit strategy for this playing out? Like, how do we get back to normal? How quickly we forget history in terms of how these viruses sometimes manifest. And if you go all the way back a hundred years ago to when the Spanish flu was around, that took out, what was it, a quarter or half of the population? I think 500 million people got that virus. Well, most of those poor bastards that got it, got it in the second wave of it. Because what happens is, yes, viruses have somewhat of an intolerance to warmer weather. But we're a couple of months from flu season coming around again. And if this thing isn't sorted out, and the only way you sort this out is not through some, you know, malaria medication that we just trial and error, it's by creating a vaccine... If that doesn't get sorted the next time flu season comes around and we've only tested 300,000 people out of a population of 67 or 68 million in the UK, what do you think could happen? Because I also hear this theory going around that, oh, well, once you've got it, you know, it's kind of like chicken pox. Once you've got it, you can't get it again. How do they know that? They've provided no evidence to support that claim. And what if you can get it again? Like you can get the flu again. The only thing that protects you against the flu is building up an immunity to it. But if that thing mutates, then you've got no chance, which is why you get sick year on year on year, or a lot of people do anyhow. So what happens if they don't have a vaccine, which they're claiming is probably 18 months away, although you're getting reports now where, oh, well, it would be a month or two. If you think you're going to roll out a mass vaccine, or I should say a vaccine for the mass population in four weeks, you're out of your fucking mind. Vaccines can take up to a decade to create test, uh, you know, sort of safety check, quality assurance tests, all of this sort of thing. That can take up to 10 years in some cases. So if you go ahead and believe that, oh yeah, in the next month we're going to have a vaccine or a cure for this thing, then you're out of your fucking mind. And that's why the most important thing is patience. Because we have to just wait this thing out while the medical community find a vaccine for this virus. But again, these claims that it is only really detrimental to people with underlying health conditions or old people, you know, people of a certain age, is just ridiculous. And a lot of people have underlying health conditions that don't know about it. But irregardless, it can fuck anybody up, and it is fucking anybody up. And I just wish that the people who were reporting on this were more honest. And that includes the WHO, by the way. The World Health Organization, who are just really showing themselves to be 
an absolute piece of shit organization that is completely uncredible and completely in the pocket of the nations that donate the highest to it, right? Biggest contributions get the biggest seat at the table and the biggest influence. I mean, all you have to see, all you have to, um, all you have to see to understand this is when the chief of the WHO a couple of weeks ago was asked about the positive examples around the world who have been doing a great job at containing this. Australia, um, I believe South Korea, Germany, Taiwan. Well, the, the chief at the WHO pretended like he didn't hear the question when Taiwan was mentioned. He fumbled around it and tried to like cut off the mic or, or do something with the interview or hang up on the caller or well, I can't remember what it was exactly, but he really fumbled over it when trying to address Taiwan specifically as a positive in dealing with the outbreak of this virus. Why did he stumble over it? Why would he stumble over Taiwan? I mean, they've done an amazing job. I have friends in Taiwan that I speak to online. They're they're, you know, really, really happy with how the Taiwanese uh, government has reacted to this to keep it in check. So why would the WHO chief, who has such a shining example to give to the world on how to prevent the mass spread of this virus, be so uneasy with the question or fumble over the question? Well, it's really, really, really easy. The WHO are funded mostly or in a really, really significant way by China. And China does not recognize Taiwan as a sovereign state. They're a Chinese territory in the eyes of the Chinese uh, regime. So maybe you haven't heard about this, but if you are a travel company operating in China, you cannot show Taiwan on the map. If you want to do business with them and your your game is travel, tourism, or any of that sort of thing, you cannot recognize Taiwan as an independent state. So to say that the WHO is some independent, unbiased, un, you know, untouched organization that operates only out of meritocracy and credibility is absolute nonsense. So it's funding versus criticism. Right? The more funding you provide, the less criticism you'll receive. And we can look at the China situation because China's reported 3,300 and some odd deaths. I think it's like 3,372 deaths. They have not reported, they have not reported a new death in like a month. Now, again, I'm not an epidemiologist, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a virologist, and I'm not a doctor. But if you look at the way that this virus trends across the world in every single country it is touched, I would say that the results that we're getting and the numbers we're getting out of China are, let, let's, let's say, inaccurate, right? In a, in a nice way, let's say inaccurate. In an honest way, let's say a f they're, they're fucking lying to us. Because you're telling me that this one place in mainland China, where this virus originated from, was contained in that area, yet has been able to spread outside of that area globally 
just by some domestic flights getting or some international flights leaving. Right. So there's a bunch of people that were there. They went out. They started this infection. But for some reason. Between December, probably November of last year and let's say the end of January. Nobody from Wuhan got into the Chinese population anywhere else in mainland China. That's not how this virus works. You just have to look at the trends. So I don't believe for a minute that China is giving us the real numbers. And so we've got 2 million cases in the world. But again, I don't believe that these are numbers that are being accurately reported because China doesn't have to tell us anything and wouldn't tell us anything because they've got a history of not telling us stuff to our detriment, right? Was it, uh, was it SARS that came out of there or bird flu that came out of there? Something. These fucking wet markets that are back open now that we spoke about on a previous podcast that are a virologist's wet dream in terms of how you would create one of these, you know, human, like civilization ending type of viruses. But we're not pressing them because the WHO has no remit because the Chinese authority, the Chinese state, the Chinese government will turn around to the WHO and say, yeah, you want to keep criticizing us? We're pulling all of our funding out. And then they likely would collapse as an organization, right? And they're the World Health Organization. So I don't believe them for a second. I've lost all faith in their credibility because they seem to me like just a pay-for-play puppet and a mouthpiece for the people that are funding them the most. So the no new cases is nonsense. It's being perpetuated by WHO in their stats and their reporting. And therefore, you have to kind of I don't know, you have to get as many sources of information as you can. You have to triangulate things and come up with your own sort of, you know, we've talked about this before. You listen to the right side of the media, listen to the left side of the media, and then you try to make something in the middle, and that's probably the most accurate you can get, right? But even our government, they come out daily, and they tell us the wrong numbers, and we're supposed to swallow it because we don't have the methodology. We don't have the resources to check. We have to wait on some independent, uh, you know, organization to do a further count that then includes the thing that the government doesn't hold true as a standard barrier for, bearer for how they tally the numbers up they only count deaths in hospitals well you're telling everybody to stay home so clearly there's going to be people who are dying in their home or in care homes or in jails so you're only recording the deaths that are in the hospital and now we're surprised that there's a 25 percent increase in the overall death numbers it's probably 35 percent And that only scratches the surface because I go back to the original point of we don't know shit because we're not testing enough people. So we're stuck at home. And we're told to wait while these companies and these organizations panic as their profits go down the toilets. So what is it going to do to markets? Because right now we're... I mean, it's not even a fine line. We've jumped straight over the line from, you know, recovery to just throwing the whole kitchen sink at this problem financially, and it doesn't seem to be working. The markets aren't propped up because of it. 
There's people out there that are not getting their money. So this stimulus package isn't reaching the most vulnerable people that it needs to reach. I mean, my household has been affected by this. I haven't heard one word from my bank, Barclays, in about three weeks as to where my mortgage holiday is. But I hear that EasyJet have already claimed $600 million out of this $350 billion pound stimulus package. So they're good. And I know the councils have now received their money to start giving out business loans for, you know, small and medium-sized businesses that have properties so they can help continue paying the rent. But freelancers and gig employees and people who don't have an office premise, they're not being given any of this money. They're being told to sign on to universal credit. For what? 90 pounds a week? Are you fucking kidding me here? You got EasyJet that's claiming $600 million to keep itself afloat. And yet the people on the ground that run this economy and contribute to the profits of a company like EasyJet have fuck all coming to them so far. These councils have received money. I haven't heard one word from Greenwich Council, which is my borough, about any sort of relief on council tax or any of the other things that we pay for. So how is it that this stimulus package was supposed to be the the be-all and end-all and our savior? Yet I don't know very many people who have even had a sniff at it. And this quote-unquote recovery stimulus package is only having, it's only going to have to be paid back. And we're talking about now getting more money from the IMF, from the International Monetary Fund? What do you think that all of this borrowing is going to do? This borrowing is going to lead to a point when we come out of this, in some way, shape, or form, this money is going to have to be paid back. The government is not just giving everybody all this money or making all of this money available. That's not how economics work. They're going to want this money back by interest. So expect your interest rates to go up. The cost of borrowing to go way up. This is going to absolutely, so there's, there's two things, right? When your economy is dead and stagnant and not functioning the way it is now, you get plunged into a recession because there's no income being generated. There's no commerce moving through the system. Everything is flat. When you pump all this money in, that is to generally keep business operating. This is just to top up furlough salaries and to, and to keep operating costs going, right? When the taxes come into play and all these poor bastards that are being hit by this uh, downturn in the economy, this furlough status or these redundancies that are being made, when their mortgage goes up 1% because they're not in a fixed term or when they increase our taxes by 1% or 2% or 3% or 4% and people can't afford to buy food or pay their hydro bills, their electricity bills and their water bills. What happens then? Then we plunge ourselves into a recession again or deeper into the one that we're already in and then we're in a depression. We are truly fucked. How do we get out of that? Especially if this thing isn't cured And we have another cycle of this. 
So we have to be real careful. And I spoke about this on a show previously about when the government just starts handing out money. They're not a charitable organization, guys. They're going to want this cash back. And we're going to be the ones that are paying for it. So when you see the chancellor on television saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes, he's not doing anything. He's just drawing up a ledger sheet. He's an accountant. And they're going to want that money back because they can't have a negative in the column of expense for very long. Because the government is a business and a business can't operate in a loss. Right? That's why we're doing the stimulus for these companies and for these businesses now. So they don't have to keep paying out employees or firing all these employees because that would just exacerbate the situation and uh, expedite the situation to a point where things would just go, you know, apocalyptic. It would be fucking terrible. But with all disasters, there can be some triumph in them as well. And I would have a look at investment opportunities over the coming months. If you have disposable income that you can play with and your family's still safe and you can operate by maybe dipping a few hundred quid a month or something like that into a fund or, you know, I'm not going to tell you about investing because I'm not an investor and I'd be talking out of my ass. I know the basics, but there's always opportunity. There's always opportunity in disaster. But this is, I mean, obviously this is a global situation. And it's at times like these when you want to look at, you know, the quote unquote standard bearer nations, you know, the leaders of the world to get you through. And then you look at America and you look at Trump and you look at the way he's handled this. And the way he continues to handle it. I mean, he is a petulant child. He is a little baby. He's a little baby man that doesn't like to be criticized about anything. The only thing he gives a shit about is Wall Street because the only measure of success in his mind of how a country is doing is how the stock market is performing. Now, America has seen something like 20 million people go on unemployment in the last three weeks. And that's only going to continue. But his failure to do anything, I mean, the, the great thing about Trump is he's such a fucking moron and he can't shut his mouth for five minutes. He has to be spouting off about something and how good he is and how smart he is and how brave he is and how powerful he is. He has to continuously flap his gums to reinforce the fact that he is in a position of authority, right? But there's the good thing about that is he's always on video. So you can check back a month ago or two months ago when he was saying that this thing is going to be, you know, there's zero cases and we're getting them all, there's five cases and we're getting them all done. In a week, there'll be none. Well, America's always got a big thing on, you know, being number one. America's number one. Well, now those motherfuckers are number one because they've got like 300,000 cases themselves. They've got the highest death rate in the world that came off in like, what, six weeks, eight weeks? And this is just an absolute failure on his part, on the administration's part, 
And, you know, again, he makes claims like, well, nobody ever, 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 ever saw this coming. And then, you know, switch to the video of five years ago when Obama's like, we have to prepare for what the next influenza pandemic is going to do to us. We need to stockpile. We need to be prepared for this. We need a, a plan of action for this. But Trump is constantly trying to rewrite history by creating his own sound bites and producing his own videos like the one he did the other day, which was a propaganda piece on all of the positive reports and news segments that are praising his, you know, his achievements so far and his response to this virus and this pandemic. They're all from Fox, of course, or Breitbart, of course. But a reporter judge, uh, a reporter asked him about the period of February where nothing was done, and she just wouldn't let him get it a word in edgewise, which was great because he was just ranting and flapping at the mouth, anyways. But when he had nothing left to say, he attacked her character. He said she's a disgrace and she's fake and you know blah 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 blah. There's all the evidence you need right in front of him. So it boggles my mind that this is an election year and Trump is probably going to win by a landslide. Even when he is spouting off things like we're going to have a cure for this and a treatment for this. We're going to give everybody, um, what's it called? Hydroxychloroquine. That's, that's their, which I, th I believe is a malaria medication. So, on, <laughs> on the hydroxychloroquine issue, this was his like, oh, we've got some promising tests going on and promising tests going on. Well, one of the, one of the biggest tests that they've got going on treating people with COVID-19 with hydroxychloroquine has had to have, been, it's, it's been suspended. Because all the people in, like a huge majority of the people in this study were starting to get heart palpitations. So it was doing more harm than it was good by the sounds of it. And they've suspended it. And on the very same day, you hear about South Dakota rolling this motherfucker out as a main treatment. I mean, are we? it feels like we're living in a matrix. Like there's a glitch in the matrix at the moment. But in election year, the Democrats could have absolutely destroyed Trump on his mishandling of this crisis. But instead, what do they do? They disqualify the most credible politician in Washington, arguably, Bernie Sanders, and they prop up Joe Biden, who can barely finish a sentence. I mean, we are watching, as we did with Ronald Reagan dementia take hold of an older gentleman in the later years of his life and degrade his uh, his cognitive ability to such a point where he cannot even finish prepared statements trump is going to get so jacked up on cough medicine or sinus medication or whatever the fuck he takes that's got speed in it that um that uh ephedrine it's um sudafed i think it is that he takes He's going to get so jacked up on Sudafed, he's going to bury Joe Biden in these elections. I could see Joe Biden having a fucking aneurysm on stage and just kicking it right there. 
So it makes me wonder, like, okay, well, are they propping him up because they're going to give him the v- give him a VP who they actually want to be president because they know effectively the VP will be running it. It'll be like sort of um, uh, what was it, Dick Cheney and George W. Bush situation, right? George W. Bush was the figurehead in the name, the Bush dynasty, right? His dad, legacy, all that, his brother in Florida, etc. But it was Dick Cheney that was running everything. And I wonder if this is what the Democrats are trying to do. But they're not even going to get a chance to do that because there's no way, and you're hearing it now from public figures and people who are starting to clue in, then you've got the snowflakes who are just like, we'll go into it, but you hear certain people just saying like, listen, I do not want to vote for Trump, but there is no way that I can vote for Joe Biden who has a diminished mental capacity, who is, you know, what is he, 83 years old? The guy's fucking, I mean, what's he got? He's already passed the male life expectancy for people in America, for men in America, which I think is like 78. So he's like well into overtime now. He's playing on extra innings and like borrowed time. And we're going to elect, we, I say we, you're going <laughs> to, those people are going to elect a person who, could literally pass away at any minute and looks like he could. And I see a video on Twitter this morning with Lady Gaga is endorsing him. I mean, she's sitting on the chair, on the arm of the chair, while he's sitting in the chair, and she's holding his shoulder like she's his nurse. It's really, really sad. And I hate to talk about old people this way, but you cannot have an old fuck like Joe Biden who can barely finish a sentence competing against a savage, just, you know, he's a fucking gangster. Say what you like about Trump. He's a gangster, and he knows how to throw his words around. That's how he's made a career for himself. You think fucking Joe Biden's going to go on a debate stage and be able to argue and go back and forth with Trump? He'll last two minutes. And yet this is the Democratic Party in America saying, that's our guy, we're all in. We're all in. That's our guy to beat Trump. This is literally, this is the literal example of cutting your nose off to spite your face because they don't like Bernie because he doesn't give a fuck about that party. He doesn't give a fuck about their party politics and they know that. So he'll throw such a spanner in the works that they, it'll disrupt the, the power flow of the Democratic Party and they can't have that. So, Instead, let's get the guy who's run for president, what, three times in the past? And in the 80s, he had to drop out of running for president. And if you haven't heard the story, this will be a shocker. He was caught plagiarizing JFK's speeches in the 80s when he was fully cognizant. He still wasn't writing his own speeches. And this is the guy that they're propping up. Blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. But I think as we focused all on, you know, the bad stuff, what comes next? Because I feel like I feel like we're very much living in a BC and an AC type of world now, right? Before Corona, after Corona. Before COVID, after COVID, right? Works well. I think some things will get back to quote-unquote normal, and I think some things definitely will not. 
I don't know what the new normal looks like, but I think social distancing and being aware of your surroundings and hygiene is going to be a massive, massive thing for people going forward out of this. I don't think people are going to be as keen to pack themselves into the trains. I don't think people are going to be as accepting to just come into offices whenever they want, whenever they're asked to. I think, and we mentioned this on a previous show, automation is going to go through the roof. Remote working is going to go through the roof. Corporations are going to have to get their digital transformation in order ASAP or they're not going to be a company because they won't attract the best talent because the best talent are going to say, well, you know what I can do? I can do my job just as effectively from the comfort of my own home as I can from your central London office. So I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to go and find a company that supports my best way of working and the way of working that gives me my quality of life and my work-life balance back because me traveling to work for an hour or two hours and traveling home from work for an hour or two hours is not how I want to spend 20% of my day, 30% of my day. I also don't need the extra expense of buying shit food made by some, some barista or some shop worker who might not be washing their hands. Because before Corona came around, I was having problems eating food from restaurants and, you know, delis and places like that because it just wasn't clean and my body knew it. So I already started to take food from home and do some, you know, things like that. So I didn't have to just interact with these places that, again, what do you know about their hygiene? What do you know about your hygiene? I see my neighbors getting like Papa John's delivered and shit. I'm just like, really? Really? You're going to trust high? When we've got an influenza pandemic on our hands, you're going to trust the hygiene of people making pizza? No offense to people who make pizza. I'm just saying. Have you been inside of a Papa John's or a fucking Domino's? You never feel good in the stomach after eating one of those things. You want to take the chance on it now? But saying that, the new normal, I think, looks a lot more at the usage of delivery services rather than going back eat, back out to eat. But I could be completely wrong because, again, we're in the thick of this pandemic at the moment and you've still got assholes that are, you know, ignoring all the social distancing rules, not protecting themselves in any way, shape, or form. So maybe I'm completely off. In terms of things getting back to normal, maybe as soon as they say we're easing the social distancing um, restrictions, maybe people just say fuck it and just go. Who knows? I'm not going to be doing that. But I think there are going to be some fundamental changes. And I think some for the good, some for the bad. This is going to drive people more and more online which is going to give certain companies a real stranglehold on commerce and certain industries. I mean, Amazon's stocks right now are fucking, they're absolutely skyrocketing. You know? What did I say earlier? It was, you know, fortunes to be made in disaster. Well, Amazon was already sitting on a fortune. So the fact that they can not now hire... 100,000 plus new workers to run their warehouses. The fact that their stock is going through the roof while some of these retail outlets can't even keep their lights on shows you how this power is shifting. 
You've now got Google and Apple that are combining forces to make a COVID tracking software service. So you've got two tech giants now teaming up with this benevolent, and I put benevolent in quotations as well, because all they want is your data. All they want is your data. So again, the future of this looks more online-based. It looks more, you know, on your phone-based. It looks, you know, more data input, more data input for these people to be able to target you and, you know, do everything else that they do with their data. But for me, it's just, I think it's kind of like, it's the ability to be reflective on what was going on before and how it needs to change now. Because one of the startling things to me is how how people are really unable to deal with being on their own because they really don't have a routine outside of going to the office. If you had fruitful hobbies, if you lived an active lifestyle, if you, you know, had things that you were interested in, if you were, you know, if you read, if you, I don't know, whatever. There are innumerable ways to pass the time. But not just pass the time, improve yourself. And so I think this is an opportunity for people to shine a spotlight again on what their routine was, is, and what it could be. Because for me, this is a perfect, like my wife and I have been, well, mainly her, um, has been, you know, making fresh bread and I've been helping her make fresh pasta and we've been doing these food delivery services with local farmers and local um, agriculturists and things like that. So we're getting fresh fruit and veg in from the local area. We're getting meat delivered from the local farms and, and things like that. And we're actually eating really, really healthy. She started doing some exercise. I've been doing some exercise in the back. Not that I ever really had an issue with the exercise part of things, but again, you can sit in the house, you can piss the days away and do absolutely nothing, or you can do something to better yourself. And I think this is a real opportune time to look inward for a minute, decide what the rest of your life potentially looks like and how you can manifest some of the destiny to be self-sustaining or do things that you love going forward. Because why should you be shackled to a company that doesn't give a shit about you? Why should you be beholden to a person who, whose bottom line you're contributing to while actually not gaining anything on your own bottom line? Why not take the opportunity now to have a think about what you love to do? And if there's a business in it, because generally there is, you just have to work at it. And what better time to do that than now? Exercise, same thing. Why not take a half an hour out of your day? What the fuck else are you doing? Sitting at the computer all day? Staring at the television all day? Why wouldn't you exercise right now? If you do an hour workout a day, it's 4% of your day. Start with half an hour. Start with half an hour and see how you get on. 
Imagine we're locked up for another two or three months and you exercised 30 minutes a day every single day. Do you know what you would look like coming out the other side of this? Like a brand new person. I'm I'm fucking telling you. You would look like a brand new person. If you decided to say to yourself right now, I'm not going to have any sugar until lockdown's over. You just make that declaration. That's something you're going to stick to, right? Or maybe you say, okay, well, I'm not going to have sugar except for Sundays, let's say. You would come out the other side of this thing looking like a brand new person. Your skin would be better. You'd be sleeping better. You'd be operating better. Your insides would feel better. Everything would be different if you did, say, just those two things. But I get that this is not applicable for everybody because some people are worried about whether they're going to get evicted in a month or not. All the more reason. All the more reason to think about what you can be doing for yourself, in my opinion. So that when we come out of this, and we're in the AC part of this new world, this after-corona world, whatever it looks like, you've acquired a new skill or begin to acquire a new skill. I think if you're prepared to waste time now, then I don't know, man. Fuck you guys. Like, if you're ready to wait, I don't have any time for you if you're just going to sit around and do nothing. I love to sit around and do nothing, but not all the fucking time. Like, I did five workouts on the weekend. They weren't for me. They were so I could record them to give them to my work colleagues for nothing so that they could become active and do some stuff for them to help themselves feel better. Nobody asked me to do that. It was just something I did because why not? Why not? I have a personal training business outside of this. It's, you know, it's tiny. I barely promote it. I don't put any real effort into pushing that business because I'm busy with other things. But there's something there I can contribute. And at the same time, keep my skills sharp. So take the opportunity to do something for you that actually has a tangible benefit in it for you. Be selfish. Be a little bit selfish. You know? But that's... That's all I wanted to say. (laughs) So a little rant and a rave on COVID. Um, We're going to come back next week. I don't know when this is out. I might publish this this week and then publish my next interview the week after. And then I've got another interview that I'm doing tomorrow, which might come out the week after that. And then I've got a few more lined up uh, going forward. But If you hear this podcast and you know anybody of interest, you know, somebody who's got a really cool story or somebody who's doing something very interesting, I would love to hear about it because I'd love to talk to them. Um, You'll see from the roster of of conversations I'm having that the spectrum of who I want to talk to or who I'm interested in talking to, there's not one set. This, Like I said to you before, this is not a politics show. This is not a tech show. This is not a film show. This is not, uh, you know... It's not a, a UFC show. It's it's all kinds of shit. And I want to talk to all kinds of people about all kinds of different things. So hit me up. Uh, you can get us at Twitter at Quiet Part Loud. If you, um, if you know anybody or want to introduce me to anybody or just put somebody on my radar that I can reach out to, I'd love that. 
I would love that. But we do have a stack of interviews lined up. I'm working on more, and those will be coming to you guys um, in due course. But for now, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, you can get us, obviously, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Podchaser, a number of different uh, platforms where you get podcasts. We're all over it. Um, but that's it for now. I just wanted to come in and give my two cents on this COVID stuff because there's a lot of work to be done. And I think I think there's a lot of uh, bullshit being thrown around. And I just wanted to cut through some of that stuff. So hopefully you found it interesting. Hopefully you found it productive and useful. Um, let me know what you think. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at quiet part loud. And, uh, and I'd love to hear from you guys. So we'll be back next week, definitely either with an interview, another one of these or something else, but, uh, stay tuned. We've got more shows coming and, uh, and that's a wrap. So until next time, guys, all the best.